Welcome to the podcast, Moving Through Fear, where we explore the role fear has in leading us toward what's most important. I'm Craig Strong, photographer, inventor, and co-founder of Lens Baby Inc. Along the way, I've met a lot of amazing people who've learned a great deal about how to live life well. In these one-on-one conversations, we explore the role fear and negative emotions have played in, of all things, making life better. Hi, I'm Craig Strong, and I am here with Dan Wampler, who is a digital artist with a passion for infrared photography, and he is the creative director for Life Pixel Infrared, a company that I have been inspired by, and they have done amazing work helping us see a spectrum through our cameras that uh, that we don't normally see, and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, Dan started teaching photography in the 80s and now teaches online and workshops all over the world, and I look forward to someday being part of one of those, Dan. You and are welcome I wanna, to join. Yeah, well, welcome to, to the program. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've had uh, a a Facebook relationship thus far and email and and uh, we've worked together on a couple of uh, emerging products for lens baby so it's it's nice to to be able to sit down and and hear some more about your story Thank um, you. yeah uh, lens baby's mission statement is we empower artists to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom and when I asked you to come on the show with me, uh, I ran that by you, and so we're going to explore your journey, what's brought you where you're at today, and some of those hurdles, whether they had a little anticipation or terror involved in learning new things and in trying new things. Uh, would love to hear some of that. Uh, but Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, this is this is a this is exciting for me to to be a part of this. And I've I've been as I describe myself, I've been a lens baby fanboy for years. I I got the I got the first one that looked like a looked like a piece of vacuum cleaner hose with a lens on the front of it. And uh and then the the day that you and I started talking on Facebook, everything kind of moved forward. But lens baby to me is great because it's it's out of the box. I mean, I'm I'm someone that I, my general remark is I don't know where the box is, and anytime something comes about that inspires, and that's exactly what what the lens baby lenses do. It's it. I, I remember I asked I asked early on with the velvets. I said, well, how does this work? And they put me on with someone, and the person spotted off all this stuff, and I was just like, my eyes started spinning in circles, and I went, <laughs> I went, we'll just go with its magic, and they laughed at me, and because, because it just, you know, the my appeal to the lenses number one is, if I want sharp, I got sharp. If I want to go, if I want to go just in the opposite direction, I can do that, and it, I've got control. I'm not big on relinquishing control. When it comes to my photography, I'm a control freak. Yeah. And I love I love the manual focus. I love the the control. It goes back to when I was in when it was film days, you know. And so when I when I sit down and I work with lens baby, I can turn around and, you know, a, a, a tiny little tiny little turn on that can make the difference between an image that looks eh, and an image that looks fantastic, and I love having that control. And so, that to me is a is a big one. And you know, lens baby for me was a natural one because with the infrared, infrared tends to have an otherworldly quality to it. And then when you throw the lens baby in, you've got you know, it just it's an easy. It's like shooting fish. In a so for I, I want to go back like long okay. before okay. lens baby, and you started teaching in the eighties. And and what talk to me about how you got started in photography and. And what was that experience like? Was it was it just all, hey, this is exciting? Was it like, you know, was there anticipation around that? What, tell me, tell me what was that very first uh, glimmer of hope around, hey, I could I could make a good photograph. That's a great question. I, I, I love I used to I, I played with cameras and I loved photography. It was film was a was a, a totally different world because, you know, every frame was expensive. And, you know, as opposed to now with digital, I can shoot whatever I want and throw it away. Um, I was taking a business course and the guy teaching the business course uh, worked for a company uh, this now defunct company called CPI, which is the world's biggest portrait studio company. And we got talking. And the next thing I knew, I was working with them. I, I had a, an affinity for the photography. 
I got lucky. I was in St. Louis where their corporate office was and their, their, um, their director of photography took me under his wing and started teaching me portrait photography. The next thing I knew I was teaching portrait photography. I went in a span of less than a, less than a year and a half. I went from being a new guy to being the guy that was teaching everybody because when you like something, you're, you're like a sponge. And that's the thing that I always get into people whenever I'm teaching them is you want to do everything you can to make this something that you enjoy, because it's very easy to learn something when you like it, when you enjoy it. It's very difficult to learn something when it's when your perception is this is going to be rough. This is going to be hard. And there's an old phrase that says that if you want to learn something, no one can stop you. If you're determined not to learn something, no one can help you. And that is very true. And so anytime I can turn around and find the fun and things, that's the whole thing with, with infrared that I'm so hooked on. I've been, I've been shooting digital infrared with a converted camera for like 15 years. And I still get that situation where I press the button and I look at it and I'm like, this is so cool. (laughs) This is so cool. And, you know, that's the thing that, that's the thing that keeps me going because I teach people and the, and it's easy for me because I turn around and I just want to share with them what it is that I'm doing. But when I first started, it was the whole, oh my gosh, so much is possible. And that was just with film. And then I got into doing dark room and you'd spend so much time and, you know, and then I can, I can remember moving forward from there and getting my first negative scanner and turning around and scanning a negative in and sitting down with Photoshop 2 and doing something in 30 seconds that would have taken me three hours and tons of money in my dark room. And I turned around and went downstairs and dumped my chemistry in my dark room and never looked back. Wow. And it's been, it's been that sort of road. And, you know, when I look at where I started and I was thrilled that my medium format camera had 20 exposures instead of 10 and my 35 millimeter had 36 exposures instead of 24. You know, now I stick, I stick two cards in my camera and I go, "Eh, I got 8,000 frames, you know, (laughs) I can do whatever I want. And, you know, and then on top of that, I can turn around and I can go in, I can go into, I can go into Photoshop and I can turn around and I can twist it and turn it and make it into what my mind sees, but I can't capture in reality. And then the technology just keeps getting better and better and better. If you would have told me in the 80s that I could shoot at ISO 10,000, I would have laughed at you because it didn't exist at ASA. If you'd have told me I could handhold a one second exposure without a tripod, I'd have been like, you know, you're crazy. And now it's all these things that we can do. And And for me, it's cool because I can remember when I couldn't do it. And so now it's like, you know, it's like so many things. I can remember, I can remember in my film days, taking a piece of glass and spraying it with hairspray to try and get that look. Now I just pick up my lens baby and I take my velvet and I take it down. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like, if I want it this way, I do it this way, you know, and and I just, I've got so much more control over all these things that I used to picture being able to do. Now I can actually do it. And so that's a very, it's a very exciting thing because it's all in the mindset that you take on it. I was, I was, I heard a great phrase and I heard this, I heard this, this speaker talk and he said, he, he walked to his back door and he looked out and his five-year-old son was riding his bicycle across the top of the fence. And he watched the kid go back and forth and he realized he didn't fall because the kid didn't know he could fall. You know, and it's that whole, it's that whole thing with what would you do? What would you try if you didn't think you could fail? Huh. And if you take that mentality of I'm not going to fail, I'm just going to, you know, it's like I said, I've always said that the ultimate, the ultimate book on post-production would be called, well, that didn't work <laughs> because, because the best way to do post-production is to try this, try this, that didn't work, try this, try this, that didn't work. And then sooner or later, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, that works. And that's the way I learned Photoshop. I didn't take any training in Photoshop. I just turned around and beat my head against the wall until I found a window or a door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's, it's very exciting when you take that approach to it. A lot of people take the approach of, oh, I failed. And you can't do that because nobody likes to fail. And instead, you turn around, you make it exciting. And that's one of the, I love digital because, you know, it used to be, 
press the button. Okay, let's race over to the camera shop, camera shop and let's pay the extra money and we'll get the pictures back in an hour and go, ooh, that didn't work. Where now it's like, I press the button, I look at it and go, okay, adjust that, look at it, adjust that. I got it. And that's that's in, that's enlightening. That's enlightening. That's that's exciting because mm-hmm. you just get to constantly, constantly create. And there there really aren't any limitations. And you know, when I wandered onto I wandered onto my first my first lens, baby lens, it was funny because it's you know, it's a very unusual looking thing. And you know, I'd be out there and I'd be playing with the with the flowers. And I'd turn around, there'd be two people standing behind me going, what are you doing? Because <laughs> it was so unusual. And, you know, and now it's more mainstream. But as you guys progress, it's like every time I turn around, you come up with something else. And I just sit there and go, ooh, I need that. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of... Well, it sounds like you've been learning since the beginning and and excited about that learning and there's not a ton of anticipation. And one of the keys to that was having a teacher who was super excited and that that was kind and it was nice and encouraging. And uh, maybe they were, you know, were they hard on you at times? Well, I... My very first teacher is a gentleman I'm still I'm still friends with. His name's AJ Arachidera. He's he is probably the most meticulous photographer you've ever met. And one of the things that he taught me was it's a thousand tiny little insignificant details. Mm-hmm. When you're teaching portrait photography, it's all about everything has to be perfect and the head has to be perfect. And and one little thing can throw it off. And when you put all these little tiny things together, it makes the image work. Well, then I started doing it in other types of photography and, and realized that it is, it's all of those tiny little things. And it's all in how you look at it. Because if you, you know, if you look at the photo and you go, oh, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, then yes, you know, I I, I screwed it up, I messed it up. And as opposed to if you're if you're starting off and you're going, okay, you know, I'm going to take a picture of Craig and I'm going to make sure that the the collar is straight and the buttons are lined up and his head is straight. And, you know, and the more that I find, the better I feel about it. And so when I teach people at my workshops, it's more, it's, it's more a matter of teaching them how to see than it is teaching them how to, to, to press the button. And, and a lot of times people start off and a, a standard one, I get it at my workshops when I'm doing landscapes is I'll, I'll walk over and go, okay, what's the subject of your image? And they're it's a landscape. What do you mean subject? I'm like, okay, if you don't know where you want people to look, people aren't going to look there. Mm-hmm. And so you get them to look where you want by the way that you capture the image. And when, when you change that mindset, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. And, you know, and you see that light come on and then it's, it's exciting. Plus for me, as a, as somebody that teaches, I am, I am guilty of stealing from them as much as I give to them because when I when I work with someone and I'm working with them and I'm seeing what they're seeing, I just developed a skill that I didn't have two seconds before. Mm-hmm. Because as hard as I try, you have a unique ability to see the way you see. I have a unique ability to see the way I see. If I work with you and I start seeing things the way you see things, I just widen my abilities. Mm-hmm. And so every time I work with someone... I widen my abilities a little bit more because I'm learning to step out of my perception into other things because I've been amazed at people. I can, we, you can stand side by side and take two totally different images. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the old, what is that old story about the blind man walking up on the elephant and everybody thinks they stay, it's a different creature by yeah. where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had people standing right next to me shooting and I look at their screen. I'm like, I didn't see that, you know, and that's because the perspective and the change and everything. And so it's, it's one of those things that's constantly, and it is, it's a constant progression. I mean, my, my goals are not super long-term. I just want to be, I just want to be better than I was yesterday. Yeah. And if you that's- keep doing that, you're always going to be heading in the right direction and it's an achievable goal. You know, that's the thing I hate is when, is when I set myself goals that I can't, I can't achieve. And so the people I worked with always 
did things, the people I worked with positively, I had a lot of people I worked with that were bad examples of how to do things. And bad examples are great because that you turn around and you go, I never want to be like that, mm-hmm. you know? And so my best, my best instructor, AJ was always, we, he was, he was always, he was always happy. He was always excited about it. And that's contagious mm-hmm. because everybody's had that. Everybody's had that teacher or that instructor that you look at them and you go, wow, you really hate what you're doing. Don't you? <laughs> And you can't learn from somebody like that, not very well, where you get those people every once in a while, everybody's had that teacher that just seems like they're just like, there's a light shining out through their, through the back of their head, out through the front of their eyes. And whenever you get somebody like that, it's really cool. Cause you're just like, I want, I want that, you know? And, and I've been lucky. I've had a few people like that and it's just, it just made it so that I like getting up in the morning and doing what I do. That's awesome. Well, and it sounds like your key to not approaching things with a ton of like anticipation or you know crippling anxiety or whatnot is to welcome the failures and Mm -hmm. to see that that is that's my main job here you know getting the success is one percent of the equation and going through the other 90 99 percent is is the journey and uh you know that that's that's a really positive way to approach uh, something that can be, uh, you know, very anxiety producing, you know, this, this task that we have of presenting the world with our vision. You know, the first thing is seeing that vision, because I'm sure you work with people that don't even know what they see yet. Yes. And, and for you, you've had, you know, decades of, of seeing. And so these things that you've assimilated from other people's visions that, that they've opened your eyes, as well as, as your innate vision that you had to become aware of, uh, like that's, that's a language for you that you're very fluent in. How would you describe your vision? Like I'm looking back uh, on the wall behind you and you have a picture of zebras as they're rubbing up against each other and, and this really tender moment. Um, And, and, Butterfly, I believe, and and some other. Just... That was the that was the Velvet Fifty Six. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, nice. <laughs> that was the Velvet Fifty Six. That was that was uh, that's in hypercolor infrared, and that was one of those that was one of those situations uh-huh. where you you turn around and you go, okay, I can I can stop shooting for the rest of the day because I got it. I was <laughs> I was. I was at uh, I was at the St. Louis Zoo. They have a butterfly house that's wonderful, and I'm in there with the Velvet Fifty Six, and I'm 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 snapping away, and and the butterfly turned around and opened its wings right as I was right as I was hitting my doing my my brackets, and I got done, and I looked in there, and it was like <laughs> I'm done, you know, because it was just the lighting and everything. The zebras. I have an affinity for Africa. I I went to Africa about five six years ago for the first time fell absolutely in love with Africa and came back and started taking people on African safaris. Mm-hmm. And part of what I love about that one is that was not shot with the telephoto lens. I was probably, I was, I was using a 24 to 105 and I was probably a less than 15 feet away from. Wow. Can you describe both those images? First, the butterfly, sure. since we went through that and the, talk about the color yeah, and talk about what's the, different about it. The butterfly, the butterfly is shot in, in what's called hypercolor infrared, which is which is 470 nanometers. It what hypercolor was was rolled out by LifePixel a few years ago. It became my baby because I I started off testing it and did everything, and then and then we rolled it out, and so it it, it was something that I just it just I latched onto it. Hypercolor has a very very strong magenta tone and a very, very strong cyan tone, cyan on the sky, magenta in the foliage. It also has some reds in it. And then it has these, I refer to them as, as, uh, as free radicals. It has red, yellow, and blue that you can't control or predict how it's going to show up, which makes it its own little, it's the thing I tell people about, about hypercolor is hypercolor is, I have a love hate thing going with it because I absolutely love it. And then it frustrates the heck out of me. Um, which could also describe my wife, but we're not going to tell her I said that. And, uh, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things that it just, it's an intense sort of infrared looks un- unlike any other type of infrared. So, so for most of our viewers, they're going to be listening to this um, and not, not viewing what you're pointing at, which is really <laughs> an amazing, unique image. Can you describe that as, you know, in, in simple terms as, as far as 
the the framing and and the subject matter and the background colors and that kind of thing. What I did with the with the with the butterflies, you're you're dealing with a with a creature that can be absolutely beautiful for a split second and then look like nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, when those wings come open, the 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 creature looks amazing. When they shut down, it's an insect. Yeah. And so a lot of shooting a butterfly is a lot of exposures that you turn around and throw in the trash. And I was, I wanted, I wanted a very narrow depth of field. I wanted something where all you saw was the butterfly and then everything melted away into softness so that you had that. And with this one, the depth of field is such infrared has narrower depth of field than color has. Hmm. And so if I would have shot this in color, the depth of field would have carried further with this one. The, the wings are just on the edge of softness and the center of the butterfly is nice and sharp. And so it's, it's, it was one of those things where I was trying to capture that, you know, butterflies have that sort of fairy tale feel to them. I mean, they, you, you watch a butterfly fly and you sit there and go, that shouldn't work. I mean, because they just, they, they don't fly. They just, they float through the air and they're just, they're these, these, these tiny little, they're these tiny little magical creatures that, that just, you know, when you're watching them, there's nothing quite like it. And they're, they're not easy to shoot as a photographer because I mean, you can take a lot of shots and come back and go, that's nothing, you know, but um this shot would not have been anything with a regular lens because I've gone there and shot with, you know, a 24 to 105, a, you know, a 70 to 200. And it's nice, but you don't get that softness and sharpness at the same time. I mean, it, the lens baby made that one work. And that's what happens so often with, with shots. When I, when I'm working with a lens baby, as I, as I turn around and go, you know, uh, this is really cool. And a lot of it, <laughs> a lot of it is because of the lens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so that works out. The one, ab- the one above it was shot in 590 infrared and I converted it to a black and white. Part of the reason I really liked that one was I was standing so close to it. This is a companion piece to it, which is a, a baby zebra. And what a lot of people don't realize is that zebras, uh, especially, especially juveniles are not black and white. A, a, a zebra, when they're first born, is reddish brown and white, mm. and they're, it's because they're not getting the right nutrients in their food, and it isn't until they get a balance of nutrients that their fur turns to black and white. So there's a lot of times you'll see you'll see juvenile zebras out there, and they're they're ginger, you know, or they're brown, and it's a very uh, unusual one. This one to me was was particularly important because I was shooting the mother and the the baby together and the baby turned around and walked away from mom and just walked right up to me and so this is a, and, a portrait uh, a yeah. little bit vertical and so it's a ver- it's a vertical portrait of um of a it's a it's a close-up of a baby zebra that's looking right at me uh-huh. and it was for me it was just absolutely amazing because i was there's a place that i take i take take the people on safari it's lake navasha it's it's this it's this beautiful place right by right by a lake and during the day non-predators just roam around i mean literally you stay in a bungalow and 10 feet outside your bungalow there'll be zebras and antelope and everything else and so i walked out and i'm lucky animals like me i i mean i stay away from predators because they like me in a different way you know but but non-predators are generally not afraid of me it's like here and you know here at home dogs and cats love me and so i stood still and i started taking pictures and the animals would just come over closer and closer and it was like okay this doesn't happen that was part of what got me with africa africa is just i mean it's a reverse zoo we're in the cages they're they're roaming free and you know the natural beauty of these animals is just it's it's mind-blowing and that's my that's my my most current love is is Africa because of because of the of just the, the beauty that's constantly around there. I would I will go I will do African safaris as long as I can stand up and walk. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first one? First one was Kenya. I do Kenya and Tanzania now. And I Tanzania is Tanzania is very nice. Uh the drawback to Tanzania is that's where a lot of the a lot of the creatures go to have their babies hmm. and so there is the interaction with predators that can be a little less than attractive that hmm. 
I don't personally care for that. A lot of people like to capture that aspect of it, which I get the whole circle of life and everything. But I'd much rather take a beautiful picture of a, a baby zebra than a beautiful picture of a lion eating a baby zebra. <laughs> it's just not something that, you know, something that appeals to me as much. But yeah, the and and the interesting part about uh, about Africa is people are more taken to my infrared shots of Africa than they are my color shots of Africa, because there's so many people out there shooting color photography. And there's so many people out there shooting Africa in color. When you, when you switch over to infrared, it takes on a different feel. This image here, if you were to, if you were to, to see it on the screen, you have an intense black and intense white. Uh, The, the eyes of the zebra are, are white. They're, they're actually look like they're lit up. And, and those are things that, that, infrared captures the infrared is just it's an it's an exciting it's exciting because number one we can't even see it it's a type of it's a type of light but it's real capable of seeing but it's there it's there and so it's it's something that i can still remember i can still remember wandering on to i I tried infrared film and i was really horrible at it and i can remember i remember when i was working for cpi one day doing a search online and this image came up and i was like Oh my God, what is that? And I started doing a little searching and it's like, okay, I remember it infrared, but infrared doesn't look this good. And the next thing I knew, I found out there were two companies in the world converting cameras to infrared. One of them I now work for. The other one's in Australia. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was converting a camera and there was no looking back because it was just so amazing that here I can capture these images and show people stuff that they can't even physically see and it takes it takes everything and makes it look different and interesting i can i can go out and take a picture of a field with a tree and in color it's like <laughs> yeah that's nice and then i can turn around and do that in infrared and people are like oh because it just it has that quality right. to it that just right, makes right. it exciting yeah I, and i think that uh that that's been a attractive to me as well i shot a lot of infrared film uh as as a wedding photographer primarily i i would shoot it and it was great for a a sunny day where everything is just completely blown out because it looked looked like perfect light you know oh, yeah. and, and uh and the way it reflects off all the vegetation and it's like you've got these reflectors everywhere if you're outdoors and shooting it and um uh and i converted a couple of my cameras to infrared uh one of them i did just with a clear piece of of, uh, protective filter full spectrum uh, full spectrum and then would shoot like a 70 was it 70 a filter just red over mm-hmm. my um kit zoom and and then i could i could put a hot mirror over my other lenses but I, i'm i'm geeking out here i i understand and and you know have a passion for that but i put that aside and you didn't you like i i was like this is great i you know i'm doing most of my time inventing stuff and and so i moved on and so it's not really part of my artistic expression not only did you get gravitate toward it, but you have made uh, a, a career out of, or part of your career into supporting the community and supporting the, the company that, that helped you uh, embrace this in digital. Um, it, it, talk to me about that journey. Like you, you had your camera converted and then, uh, and then you got a job. What, what happened in between there? Wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a, that's quite a question. Um, well, I started off and and initially I I went out and I shot with it and I came back and I'm like, okay, this is awful. This is horrible because I I didn't know the basics and and when I started there was nobody doing it. I mean, there was infrared film and I had tried infrared film and I I was slightly above awful at it and I got in the digital infrared and I was like, okay, this is just this is terrible because it was all red. And I I started fiddling around and I wandered onto the concept of white balance. And and then that was like literally like the, the clouds parting the beam of light coming down. Because once I got the white balance and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, now I've got something and I've got these colors and I've got these false colors. And and then from there, there's the whole, okay, well, you can swap those colors and I can take that sky from a red to a blue. And I just got 
going into it. It was just, it was a, it was a, it was a very overactive hobby while I was working a real job. And, um, and then out of the blue, I got contacted by the owner of LifePixel talking to me about what I was doing because I was doing stuff with color infrared when everybody else was just turning infrared into black and white. Mm-hmm. Because one of my things that that I always try to do is I I never want to do what everybody else is doing. I mean, whenever there's a whenever there's a trend and everybody's out there doing that, I'm like, no, 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 I can do that. You know, I just I just I can't. And so everybody was turning their infrared into black and white. And I was like, no. And so I'm playing with the colors and I got into a conversation with the owner and I reflected back on what happened to me when I first started. Plus I'd spent most of my life teaching photography in one way, shape or form. I worked in the portrait photography industry. I worked for Kodak for a number of years and I asked him straight out. I said, you know, you're the number one company. Why don't you train? And he was, he was pretty slick about it. He goes, well, what should we do? And I, I threw out all these ideas. Cause you know, when you're, when you're just talking, I mean, you know, it's easy to throw out all these ideas. Sure. And so, you know, and I turned around and threw all these ideas out. And the next thing I knew it was like, Oh, now I'm going to try and do that. <laughs> so I wished I hadn't been so, you know, so grand with all my ideas, you know, but the next thing I knew I had a job huh. and it was, it was interesting because I had to sit down and go, okay, it's one thing to do something. It's another thing to turn around and teach people how to do it. And I had spent time in the portrait photography industry. The hardest thing to do is not to teach somebody. So teach somebody how to teach somebody. And so the best way you could explain that is to turn around and tell someone, okay, do not look down and tell me how to tie my shoes. You do it all the time. You don't even think about it. But now I, you've got to tell somebody how to tie their shoes. That's tough. And so what I had to do was I had to take all these things that I did naturally because they made sense to me, because of course, that's why you do it. Of course, that's why you do it. And then I had to turn around and go, okay, now I've got to turn around and explain this to people. And so it actually, it's it's teaching is something that uh, that most people don't they don't think about it and realize that, you know, I have respect for, I have, I respect for, for school teachers because they're dealing with a captive audience that doesn't want to be there. I'm dealing with people that have come to me that want to be there. I mean, I would hate being in that situation where, you know, these people are forced, these children are forced to be there. So when people come to me, they want to learn something. It's just that I have to turn around and do something that makes complete and total sense to me and make it make complete and total sense to you. Because just because I know it works, I can't just tell you this is what you should do, you know, and you're going to go and do it. I have to be able to justify it to you because people by their nature, when you're trying to get them to change something, you know, the thing that I find, I find most with my, with the training that I'm doing, people come to me that have been photographers for years and now they're getting into infrared. And so they're very comfortable as photographers and they really don't feel like they have much to learn. And infrared is learning something totally new. And the biggest challenge that I get into is that the, it, there's no way to say it that doesn't sound a little bit snide, but they want to continue to do the same thing and get different results, hmm. which is the definition of insanity, according to Einstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I have to, I have to, without, them feeling like I'm talking down to them, I have to make them understand that this is different and you need to do things differently to get the results that you want. And a lot of times, like one of the easiest ways to tell people is if they like my work, is I turn around and go, if you want to get what I get, you got to do what I do. And then they'll generally go, hmm, okay. And the other thing that I can do too, is I can always tell people, you already know how to do what you're doing. Try this. You can always go back to what you were doing. If you try this and it works, great. If you try it and it doesn't work, you can always go back to what you were doing. And if I can get that buy-in, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing with what I do is if I can convince you that this will work, that's it right there. Mm -hmm. Because then you're going to turn around and you're going to say, okay, I'll try this. Because if you, if you make up your mind that, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Right. So, and so, go so ahead. Uh, 
if you want to make what I make, you need to do what I do on a high level. Like what, what is it that you do? Not necessarily the nuts and bolts, but the approach that you take to creating images, to exploring new ways of doing things. What are the keys to, to growth in your artistic vision? You got to really get in there and not try and figure what other people want. Go out there and go, okay, you know, I'm in this beautiful scene. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm leaving Sunday for the Dominican Republic for a oh, week. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to be on the far side of the island from all the tourists. And so I'm going to have all this beautiful area mostly to myself. And I'm not going to walk up to this and go, okay, you know, this is what people would do because I don't want to do what people would do. So instead, I turn around and go, okay, what can I do that no one else has ever done? And if you tap into that, you tap into things. I did a series years ago that um, they went, the images went viral. I shot a, I shot a, a mall in St. Louis that had closed up. It was famous for being the last place that JFK ever spoke before becoming president. And the mall closed and all these people were trying to sneak in and break in and, you know, the, the urban explorers and photograph it. I took a different approach. I went over to the mall management, sat down with them and said, you know, here's my website. This is what I do. I'd really love to capture this for posterity. And they turned around and said, okay, come back tomorrow. And they let me shoot it for three days. Wow. And I shot the entire series and I, I got, I, they went crazy. Buzzfeed, Gizmodo, everybody ran them. And um, I had photographers come to me and they're going, okay, I like these and I don't know what it is you did. Sure. And I went, you're going to laugh when I tell you. When I was a kid, malls were scary. And so I captured everything from the height of a child and the perspective of a child. I shot everything low with a wide angle. And there's all these shots of escalators because when I guess it was a strange child, escalators scared the heck out of me. Where do those steps go? And what happens when I get to the bottom? If I don't step off in time, am I going down there? Right. And so escalators were these scary metal things that could eat me. And so I did these shots of escalators and it was a low perspective and they were, they, it worked. And so a lot of it is just get into yourself. I, I tell people, you know, we, you get to a spot and it's absolutely beautiful. Don't start shooting right that second. Walk around a little bit. Take it in, figure out what it is. The biggest challenge people get into is they don't realize the difference between themselves and their camera. They've got two lenses, their eyes. They have an overlapping field of vision. They see in a 3D format in their mind. They pick up their camera. Their camera has one lens. It captures on a flat plane. It used to be film. Now it's a sensor. So it captures two-dimensionally a three-dimensional world. Plus, you turn your head left and right you've now seen this amazing field. And so when you go to capture it and you're standing right here, this may not be the angle that you want. So you shoot this, you go over and you shoot this, you go over and you shoot this, you shoot up here, you shoot down here, you try all these different things. And then when you're done later on, you throw away what you don't want. And somewhere in there, you caught what, you were, what your mind's eye was seeing. But it's mostly inside because I have people that tell me that, oh, they just don't have the eye. They just don't have the eye. And you turn around and you, you, you take them to a spot and you're like, okay, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And I've had these people that tell me they're not photographers turn around and tell me things. And it's like, wow, <laughs> I want to capture that, you know? And, and so that's the thing most people, uh, most people in my, this is just my opinion. Most people don't take enough time before they press the button and they don't take enough shots because with digital, especially there's no such thing as overshooting and you, you shoot it and you shoot it and you shoot it. And then you go through and you find out what it is that fit what was in your head. Hmm. Because, because that's the, that's the biggest thing. You know, we, we picture things differently than reality. And when you can, encapsulate what you envision that's the art mm -hmm. everything else is just you know i'm not a documentary photographer i'm not a, i'm not a photojournalist i am you know i am capturing my version of reality mm -hmm. which oftentimes has very little to do with the actual reality sure. and that's that's the cool part about it. that's the part that makes it exciting
Well, as a photojournalist, I'll say it was my my version as well. Um, and it it uh, you know shooting through perfect class made it more acceptable in the sense that my vision wasn't necessarily uh, an artistic one. However, everybody that photographs something and brings uh, to the world what they've seen in that scene uh, is influencing it. It doesn't matter. And, oh, you yeah. know, there's a certain amount, obviously, as a photojournalist that, that you, you can't you can't step step over uh, certain lines. But uh, it's uh, I I go back to for me, as you're describing, telling people um, to to basically, you know, figure out what you see first. Like you see something, your camera doesn't see anything. Like your camera is just a tool. Mm -hmm. And if you don't figure out what you see, then the camera can't help you to share that with the world. Exactly. And as I hear you talk about that, I wonder when did you start to to step into situations where you were trying to share what you saw in a scene and start to actually connect with, okay, what about this scene matters to me? And were there keys to you getting to that point? Because as a young photographer, that was one of my first identities. I was first, I was a fisherman. Um, and second, I was a photographer and I was a terrible photographer, but I was a photographer. And it wasn't until college that I started creating work that was beautiful, that was really in line with my vision. So there was eight years or so for me of just four to four to eight, I don't know, eighth grade. So I guess it was uh, five years uh, for me where there was going out and making images that didn't reach anywhere close to the way I saw the world. Cause I didn't know how I saw the world, at least not makes visually. Sense. Yeah. Um, what was that process like as a young photographer, just trying to understand how do I see this? I always, that, that, even as a, as a child, I always got a kick out of it. Cause I would see things that other people didn't see shapes, sizes, things, my my wife still gets a kick out of it. We were, we were at a we were at a a, a a verbal place that we rented, and I'm standing in the kitchen and I started I started snickering. She goes, "What?" And I said, "Look at the coffee maker." And the coffee maker with the knobs looked like a person who was judging you. Huh. And I grabbed my cell phone. I took a picture of it and I showed it to her. And she's like, "How on earth did you see that?" And I went, "I just did," you know. And that was the whole thing. Was was it was one thing to see it. It was another thing to turn around and capture it. And that's why for me, digital was the turning point for me because I would get these ideas and these, and I would go down and I would try things in, in the dark room and never quite get exactly what I wanted. And digital was, it it was, it was my, it was, it was kind of like to go back to a sci-fi movie, the matrix, when he finds out nothing's real, unless you, you know, as long as you believe it's not real. And that's the thing with, you know, with my working, my images with Photoshop is I can do whatever I want. And so now I can turn around and all of those things that I look at and I see, I can turn around and I can, you know, I can do that. And I remember there was a, there was a, there was a tree at this one park here. It's it's called Lamar Park. And it reminded me of something from, from Disney because you go over and the tree has very distinctly two eyes and an open mouth in this tree. And every time I would look at it, you know, I'd, I'd take a camera and I'd try and catch it. I never could catch it the way I wanted it. And then very early on with, with, you know, before I had a digital camera, I was using the negative scanner. I went over and shot it. And then I turned around and I took a person's eyes and I embedded them back into that image so that when you looked at that tree, now it had these eyes very, very, you know, very translucent, but they had these eyes looking at you. And so now it took on what I had been seeing in my head. Hmm. And it was just like, I mean, it was like the biggest thrill because I could turn around and go, this is what I saw. <laughs> because prior to that, you could tell people, you could say, Do you see, they'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, and now you can turn around and you can do that. And, you know, the thing with the, when you asked me to do this, I started thinking about you because know, I, I love the lens, baby lenses as much as I do. And it's like, okay, why did I latch on to them when I did? And I realized that a good part of that was 
everything that I was doing was with portrait photography. Everything was sharp, critical focus. Everything was, was perfect. And now we're going to turn around and we're going to deliberately make something soft. Mm -hmm. And we're going to deliberately, you know, we're, we're deliberately not going to do what we're required to do every time. A picture has got to be sharp and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I turn around and I can do this and I can turn and at the same time. Cause I can remember that that first little one is I can turn around and I can make part of it sharp and part of it soft and I can twist it. And, and it was before Photoshop, I had the ability to do, you know, to do the things that I now take for granted, but it, I've always seen things differently. And the biggest change for me was the whole digital mm -hmm. was the very first time that I could now turn around and I could, I could reach into that photo and go, okay, I want, you're gone. You're here. You're, you're bigger, you're smaller, you're sharp, you're soft. You know, and that's one of the things I, I teach people with post-production is I teach them how to think of their image as a three-dimensional construct, not as a flat thing. And you take, you, you start looking at an image and you take it apart and you take this piece over here and you sharpen this and you soften this and you lighten the color on this one, you up the color on that one. And now this image takes on a life of its own and you get done. And if you've done it right, people turn around and go, wow, you had some fantastic light. You know, I always tell people the last thing you ever want to hear from somebody is have them go, wow, you really Photoshopped that. <laughs> Cause then, then you, that, then you can turn around and toss that one aside. Cause you know, you didn't do it right, but it, but it's always been, it's always been about trying to get what's up here out so people can see it. Yeah. And like you said, there comes that point when you really don't know. And I, I, I knew sort of what I wanted, but I didn't know how to do it yeah. because how to do it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I had this, <clears throat> I had these crazy ideas in my head of all these different things that now are probably mundane to the average digital artist because, mm -hmm. you know, they can even go further than that. I mean, they can just, you know, they can, they can do anything that they want. I mean, you know, I can remember going out and taking a picture and going, gosh, that sky's awful. And well, now you can turn around and change the sky if you want. And, you know, it's just, you can do, you can do anything. You're only limited by your imagination. That's literally all it is. Yeah. And then it sounds like you've, you've worked really hard to, to see where that imagination uh, ties into your values and the way you see the world like that, the idea I'm picturing the, the being a kid and looking at a an escalator and the fear and anticipation that every kid had about that and you were able to just subtly bring that in in not a way that you were you know planting a flag and saying yeah you don't want to cram escalators it down are you know this is you're the escalator guy or you're the scary escalator guy you were you were you had a sense of space, but you had a theme that you went into and you had a vision and that vision came through in a way that resonated with a lot of people. It surprised uh, me. I didn't think when I did the series, I really didn't think I did it for myself. I didn't do it for anybody else. Sure. And so when it picked up, I, it caught me off guard because I, it, it was almost, it was almost like somebody walked in and caught me in my underwear because it was like, okay, these I did for me and I didn't expect everybody to see them. And it was, it was, a, it was very unsettling initially because I didn't think that that many people were going to do it. We're going to, we're going to pick up on it. And, and since that time, one of the things that I, one of the things I love to do when I go someplace is watch the way kids see things because they have this, hmm. this perspective. And, you know, you watch a kid and you see a kid and they're like, oh, and I always got to walk over and go, okay, what is it they saw? Because as an adult, I'm no longer thrilled by everything in the world. They're seeing it for the first time. And so there's a lot of situations where I'll turn around and go, okay, you know, I'm going to get down here and I'm going to see what it looks like at this angle. You know, um, you know, Robin Williams, I remember said, he said that, you know, to adults, Mickey Mouse is cool to a kid. It's a six foot rodent, you know, <laughs> because it's like the whole thing with Santa Claus. You want to understand why kids cry when they see Santa Claus, get down at that level and look up at him. Yeah. You know, it's scary. And so perspective makes a big difference on things because I'm constantly catching myself. It's easy to do. You get to a spot and you go, okay, that's cool. And you get your camera out and you, you stand right there. Well, that's great. 
if I'm looking for a perspective at five foot 11, right. you know, where if I drop down to two foot six or three feet, suddenly everything has got a different look to it. And it really does. It, it takes, it takes on a different, a whole different feel. And that's part of the excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I, throughout our conversation, I just keep hearing you talk about different tools, whether that's perspective, whether that's, uh, you know, angle of view, whether that's multiple exposures, whether that's Photoshop, whether that's uh, working with uh, infrared, working with lens baby, working with yourself to figure out, okay, what's important to me. Like you've got a, you've got a very full toolbox. And it sounds like you have approached filling up that toolbox, which allows you to be, you know, daily, a better photographer, a better artist, a better able to express yourself in the world. You've done that in a way that has, has uh, embraced the failure that, that the, the failure is that's nothing to be oh, afraid yeah. of. That's yeah. nothing to to shy back from. And, no, and so because, your mindset has been so yeah, positive. And that's inspiring. totally different. Totally yeah. different because because the 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 whole thing with it is okay, that didn't work. Okay, well, something else will, you know. And you know, that's the thing that I, you know, I, I constantly stress with the thing I, the remark I make is okay, you messed up, don't show it to anybody, you know. Um that's it's that simple because you know the thing that I, the thing i get into is a lot of photographers get hung up on the gear and the and the the you know what's the histogram look like and what's this look like and i constantly tell people you don't go into an art gallery and go what does the histogram look like mm-hmm. hanging over my head is the single biggest paycheck i ever got for a photo it's on the bestseller it's actually from that from that shoot it's one of the escalator shots that i told oh, yeah? you about wow. okay and it's on the bestseller it's on the cover of a bestseller in tokyo Huh. He didn't con- he contacted me. He didn't ask me the camera, the lens. He didn't ask me anything. He yeah. said, I love the photo. Would you take this ridiculous sum of money for it? And I went, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went, seriously? Yeah. And so it was. And then you it, didn't check it. You didn't cash it. You just put it on your wall. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. uh, grand of you. No, no, that, that's not the cat. That's not the check. Oh, that's the yeah. book. Okay. That's the book. But I mean, you know, <laughs> but, but that's the thing is a lot of times as, as digital artists, people get too hung up over you know, this and that. And it's like, no, this is all that the person viewing cares about. Mm -hmm. If they don't like it, it doesn't matter what you did. If they like it, I made a really big mistake early on. I had stuff in a gallery. I'd won a contest in St. Louis and I got this gallery show. And the weekend after the show, I popped in to see how things were going. And there were these Two women looking at this photo I had taken in Savannah, Georgia. You know, it's got the trees with the Spanish moss on it. And the one woman is telling the other one, she goes, I got to get this. I love New Orleans. And I turned around and I said, that's Savannah, Georgia. Hmm. And she goes, excuse me? I said, I was in Savannah, Georgia when I took it. And she went, oh, okay. And they turned around and left. Wow. And the gallery owner walked over and, you know, did that gib slap on the back of my head <laughs> and said, you know, did you really have to do that? And I went because it because it didn't matter where it was shot to her it was new orleans once i destroyed that image she no longer wanted it and that's the thing i I constantly tell people is you know is if somebody walks up to your picture of a palm tree and says oh i love hawaii and you shot it in miami don't correct them because you captured the image they interpreted the image and that's the other thing that comes into play. I have images that I create and I get done with them. I'm like, mm, it's nothing. And everybody loves it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that- they can come and edit your, uh, your Lightroom catalog yeah. too. I, that's always the challenge for me is, is when a, a photo that's super personal that I love, nobody really connects with. And I'm like, okay, what did I miss in that? in that scene. Well, you know that what though? That's the one. Those are the ones I love those the best because when I get done with an image and I love it, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. Yeah. That's great. That doesn't happen that often to me. Yeah. I get a lot of stuff. I get stuff where I know it's, I know it's, I know people are going to like it. And so I put it out there yeah. and I get stuff where I really don't care either way. And if they like it, great. If they don't, when I get those ones that are, to me, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then I don't care what other people think. That's so satisfying because, you know, a lot of what we do as artists is all wrapped around. We want approval. We want people to, to like it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Because and I we think, want people like us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm uh, channeling my younger self as a photojournalist because as a photojournalist, I always had my name under the photos and, and some, I would get random phone calls where people looked me up in the phone book and said, that's the best photo I've ever seen in my life on the front page of the Oregonian. That, that's well, okay, cool. That, I say people, it only happened once, but, um, <laughs> that's but at the same time, that was part of the insecurity of me as a young photographer going, um, why, why are the images that are my favorite, not picked by my editor or, or feedback. If I didn't have an editor when I was at a weekly paper, um, uh, and choosing my own photos, not, not, why don't they resonate the way they do with me? But it's also what you're saying here. I, I love what you're talking about of let people have their own story about the images that, because they're bringing a, a lifetime of experience that, that make them, connect with what they see at times and there is there it is so easy to just shatter that connection uh by by explaining what's really going on because that was your experience but that's not their experience let them dream let that be an infinite depth of meaning in that in that uh photograph it doesn't need a caption if if it if it resonates with people yeah and i i I have people turn around and tell me i've had people look at images and tell me they love it and they their assessment of the image i'm just like wow i wish that was that cool and i caught it (laughs) but but they you know but they turn around and and you know i i always love when somebody tells me about my photo and tells me what they see yeah because there are a lot of times yes i see what they see and there's other times where i go Oh, I hadn't thought of that, you know, but I, I learned from that. I learned from that one situation that, you know, you never, you never correct a person because let them think what they, they, they connected with it. You yeah. know, that's what we're wanting, whether it's connecting with it and getting a check or connecting with it and getting applause or whatever, we're, we're wanting that approval. You know, there was a, there was an artist, uh, a, a painter uh, I don't know, 10, 10 or so years ago, he passed away. His daughter was cleaning out his house and somebody said, what do you want to do with the paintings in the attic? And she went up there and there were all of these series of paintings he had painted over like almost 20 years. He would finish a painting and put it up in his attic because he didn't care what other people thought. He just finished it. Hmm. She had a friend of hers who was an art dealer and he came and looked at him. He said, well, we could do this as a show. He said, but he said, you know, you, you, you might make, a half a mil off of them. And she went, I beg your pardon. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he was good, yeah. but most of his friends never knew he painted. Wow. And I, I'm not that, I'm not that guy. Yeah. I want people to like what I do. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a, a, an interesting sort of person that created this stuff to never show anybody. I mean, I create stuff and I can try and say otherwise and try and act all cool and everything. But the fact of the matter is, if you turn around, you go, Dan, that's cool. I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I like that. You know, because you want that. You you want people, you want yeah. people to like what you do. I yeah. mean, that is that's one of the cool parts about being an artist is you create something and people like it. And it's it's in a way, it's you're getting approval as a person, a validation as a person because you created that. And that's something I constantly tell that's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to like what you make. Yeah. You know, if you if you start changing what you're doing because you think that people will like it better, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you keep as long as you stay true to yourself. That's great because, you know, you said, you know, why didn't people pick those things? And, you know, the thing I always tell people is keep in mind, we live in a world where somebody played $4.2 million for a painting of a Campbell's soup can. So don't decide what art is because it can be whatever it wants to be. Right. And, you know, and so if, you know, if somebody doesn't, if you're, if you're done with it and you know, it's right and, these other people don't see it. That doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, like they tell you, they, you know, your self-worth doesn't, doesn't depend on whether or not other people see that, you know, you have to, you have to turn around and go, okay, I did this. I did it exactly the way I wanted. It's exactly what I want. And I'm done with it. And if other people appreciate it, great. There's going to be somebody out there that's going to maybe not a mass group of people, but you know, I would much rather 
create stuff that I like, then create a bunch of stuff because I think other people's going to like it. Absolutely. Because then I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not being me. I'm, I'm being what they want. Yeah. Well, and, and, and if you like it, you're learning as you move forward and you're pushing yourself to have those images and that art represent what's inside. And I think that's a great place to wrap things up. I, cool. I am so thrilled to have your thoughts on art, on photography, on your journey. Uh, great to get to know you more, Dan. And uh, you're an easy person to talk to, Craig. You made this very simple for me. I, I went into this going, I hope I don't embarrass myself. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> Uh, you didn't embarrass me, and I'm, I'm proud to, to have had the conversation and be able to share this with uh, our listeners here. So uh, you have a fantastic day, and thanks again for coming on. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me for the Moving Through Fear podcast, where we explore what it means to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom.